Kip Kendrick and Martha Stevens represent a portion of Boone County in the Missouri House. And the two Democrats are hoping to make their mark in the 2020 session on transportation and health care policy. Kendrick and Stevens join me next on the latest edition of Politically Speaking. So let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. I am back in the beautiful and spacious KBIA studios in historic and wondrous Columbia, Missouri. And I have two guests today, and and they were the two guests the last time I was at this studio. The first one is the representative for the 45th House District. Yeah, Kip Kendrick. Happy to be here. And the representative from the 46th House District. Martha Stevens, thanks for having me. Thank you for for coming back to the show. I'm going to let you two do most of the talking this time. I want to spend the first part of the show talking about initiatives that both of you are making priorities in the 2020 legislative session. I'm going to start with you, Representative Kendrick. You have a transportation-related initiative that wouldn't have to go to the vote of the people that I find very fascinating. Tell me what it is. It is a two-cent fuel tax increase that triggers a $450 million bonding proposal. Uh, The two-cent fuel tax increase proceeds would go to paying down the bonds over a 10-year period, once those bonds are completely paid back, one cent of the fuel tax increase is sunsetted and one cent remains in perpetuity. And the importance is is the bonding proposal, is having that $450 million up front at the beginning to clear the maintenance uh, and repair backlog that MoDOT's currently experiencing. So this comes on the heels of the bonding plan that passed in 2019. It broke a lot of ground because this was an instance where general revenue dollars are going to pay off debt for transportation, which I don't think has ever happened before. Has that ever happened before? Not that not that I know of. We've used general revenue uh, at times in the past on 50-50 matching products, but it's a, my first experience and my only knowledge of, of using GR to pay down MoDOT bonding. So my understanding is even from supporters of that, because I, th- I believe that you voted for that, I but I think that you, what you said on the floor was this is not a long-term solution. This is kind of scratching the surface of Missouri's transportation problems. It And it, it pained me to vote for SCR 14. Um, you know, I did. I support it because I, I know that that was the only way we were going to be able to draw down additional federal dollars to make sure that the Roachport Bridge was replaced rather than repaired. Um, but using general revenue to pay down bonds is is tricky and a bit dangerous, in, in my opinion. Uh, you know, we're going to pay those back over a seven-year period using general revenue, and there will likely be some type of correction in the economy, uh, some type of slight downturn. Hopefully, it's nothing like we saw back with the Great Recession. But to pay down those bonds, which we will always do first, we will always pay our debt first, uh, it will come at the expense of K-12 education, higher education, and other priorities. 
This is an unusual proposal in the sense compared to other transportation funding plans that it does not have to go to a vote of the people. It's very clear that roads need more money, but Missouri voters have rejected a sales tax increase and another gas tax increase, and they don't have a lot of appetite for tolling. So is the reason why you think that your proposal is, is better than those is that it is not necessarily at the whims of a voting population that tends not to support tax increases. The General Assembly tried to hit a home run back in 2018 by putting a two cent or a ten cent fuel tax increase on the ballot, um, and it was a swing and a miss. And right now, what my proposal is, it, it's a single. We got to get someone on base. We got to play some Whitey Herzog baseball and just play small ball for a minute. It, my my fuel tax increase, the two cent modest fuel tax increase, right? And with bonding proposal, it's not a long term solution by any means, but at least gets us heading in the right direction on this issue. What has been the response of some of the your colleagues about this plan? I've had very good conversations with people quietly. I've had a lot of people say, you know, I support this proposal. I think it's it's a good step um, and it's, it's the perfect time to bond. Uh, you know, Publicly, I, I don't know that there will be the will uh, for uh, for the majority party to to raise a fuel tax, however modest it may be, in an election year. Uh, have you talked with Governor Parson about this issue, given that he has made workforce development and infrastructure the core of his administration? I, I have talked with Governor Parson about it, yes. And has he expressed any interest in supporting your initiative? Well, I don't want to put words in in the governor's mouth, uh, but I will say I had a very good conversation with him about this proposal. I think that he probably understands uh, the dynamics in the General Assembly and the lack of appetite uh, to raise a fuel tax during an election year. Representative Stevens, I want to talk about an initiative that you are championing this year, and it would provide feminine hygiene products, which is a euphemistic way of saying tampons and pads, in uh, grades 6 through 12 for for schools. Now, from reading uh, some other news coverage of this, the impetus is that in a lot of schools, especially schools with like high concentrations of poverty, female students do not have access to feminine hygiene products, and that could just make paying attention at school just in- basically impossible. I want to make sure that I'm getting kind of the, the, the crux of your initiative correctly, first of all. Yes. Um, so the issue is really around um, addressing period poverty. So, um, you know, nationally, there's a national organization um, called Period, uh, and they have data that um, says that one in five menstruating teens' families struggle to afford period products, um, and one in four um, menstruating teens uh, potentially miss school because of it. So it's it's also, I think, um, an education issue to ensure that students are able to go to school um, and really seeing this as a basic need um, that we can step in and help, um, you know, provide that for our students in our state so that they aren't missing school, that that they aren't distracted, that um, reduce stigma. Um, So I actually had um, high school students here in Columbia reach out to me in the interim with this idea, um, which it's been really great working with them as stakeholders. um, And uh, they... uh, you know, brought this this idea to me. We we worked on it. Looked at some other states. There's uh, five or six other states that have um, actually implemented something along these lines, where the state is helping pay for these products for schools. 
Um, and then a number of states have also uh, filed legislation that just hasn't gone through. How would this legislation work? Would it be like a requirement for individual school districts to provide pads and tampons for free? Or would the state provide some money for various school districts to make it happen? Yeah, so I am uh, trying to uh, avoid an unfunded mandate. And it would we have to, we're working also on the budget side of it, too, um, where it would be subject to allocation from the state. But I would also mention some school districts are doing are starting to do this. Um, so, but not all of them. In, in Columbia Public Schools, these students that I've been working with, they actually um, organized and were great advocates and got uh, CPS to, um, to to fund that right now. That was going to be my next question. It seems like as this issue gains more prominence, mm-hmm. maybe individual school districts will do this on their own without state help. But on the other hand, especially if you're in a school district with limited resources, right. this is may- maybe why this legislation is necessary. Is mm-hmm. that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. And, and you know, we, we last year in the General Assembly, um, a topic, you know, related to this, um, the state is now paying for um, period products um, for prison in prisons. Uh, prior to us passing legislation allocating those funds, uh, prisoners were expected to um, use you know their own money to purchase what really is a basic need um, for people that um, have periods. What has been the reception to your legislation? Have you found other Republicans that are are receptive to? supporting it and moving it through the process? Yeah, and some of the advocates that I'm working for are also having discussions, you know, with the relationships that they have with um, Republicans. I had a meeting with the speaker last week because I'm trying to get it assigned to a committee. Um, I'm trying to get it to go to the Education Committee with Representative Chuck Basie, um, who, if I can get assigned there, I know um, uh, I can get a hearing. And I think there's a lot of um, students that would like to be part of that process, and I, I think it's really important for their voices to be heard because it's really them and their peers that are experiencing this and seeing this and that it's an issue in our schools. A more general question for both of you. The last time I had you on this show, I asked, like, what is it like being in the Democratic super minority in 2018? How has the legislature in 2020 been for Missouri Democrats? I'll start with Representative Kendrick. Well, um, I don't want to sound too optimistic uh, because it's still early in session. uh, But, you know, I will say that there have been probably a higher number of Democrat bills uh, referred to committee and actually have hearings. I've had, uh, you know, my state work-study bill, which creates a, a, a work-study program for students in, in college and um, technical schools. That actually was the first bill heard in the Higher Education Committee when this first bill voted out of Higher Education Committee this last week. And, and I know a number of Democratic bills have been referred. Now, whether they make it across the finish line or not, I you know, I don't know. That's yet to be seen. But um, but there is, I think, an attempt to uh, to be a bit more bipartisan in referrals of, of good ideas. Yeah, no, I mean, and I met with this the speaker this week about some of the bills. Um, and yesterday, one of uh, one of my bills got referred to a committee that is um, around having um, families that qualify for WIC services be able to get vouchers. It's a federal program that we apply for a grant to use at the local farmer's market. I had a hearing on it two years ago. And, um, you know, unfortunately, last year, I did not have um, I did not have any hearings. Um, So I'm just trying to um, reach out across the aisle with some issues that I think are things that both parties can support. And, you know, in 2018, I've really tried to find a, you know, a lot of the issues I do work on are around healthcare and the opioid epidemic, and that's something that um, I've had success in a bipartisan um, effort to, to work on public policy around that issue. 
We'll be right back after this quick break with Representatives Kip Kendrick and Martha Stevens. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Representatives Kip Kendrick and Martha Stevens. I want to talk about a couple of ballot initiatives that I think are causing a lot of conversation in Jefferson City. Let's start with Medicaid expansion. There is a well-funded and well-organized uh, initiative petition that is currently circulating that would expand Medicaid under the auspices of the Affordable Care Act. So I think up to 138% of the federal poverty level, if I'm not mistaken. Frankly, it has the money to get on the ballot, and I think it's going to have a good chance of actually passing, especially if the opponents of Medicaid expansion cannot mount a particularly strong opposition campaign. I'm going to go on a limb. You both support the Medicaid expansion ballot initiative. Is that correct, Representative correct. Stevens and Kendrick? Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think it would be a good thing for the state? This is something uh, prior to being in office, um, an issue that I care quite a bit about. Um, you know, 2013 was the first year that we could have expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. And it's just been very, very disappointing that it's just been so politicized because I feel like the, the collateral damage from not expanding is so significant. When you think about the nearly 200,000 uh, folks that would be able to go see a doctor and have that safety net of um, health insurance, you think about the, I think it's now up to nine rural hospitals that have closed in the last seven years. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the issues we talk about um, around the opiate epidemic really relate to uh, what it means to have expansion in our state so that low-income individuals that are suffering from the disease of addiction can actually go and get treatment and get services. And so states, you know, we're one of 14 that hasn't expanded at this point. So for states that have expanded, um, it offers that opportunity um, to make sure those folks get treatment um, for those communities and for those individuals, um, but also to bring some federal money into our state um, to make sure that we have a more robust healthcare infrastructure, and that includes for treatment for substance use disorder, because um, it really just becomes a class issue of who can afford treatment around that issue. So, And uh, you know, also the amount of folks that are looking for services and, and need services for mental health care treatment. I mean, that's also a benefit of having um, insurance through Medicaid. Representative Kendrick, uh, one of the groups that has been out front in support of this is the Missouri Hospital Association and other hospitals. Frankly, I'm kind of surprised they didn't do this years ago, given that the lack of Medicaid expansion clearly has had an effect on, on hospitals. Are you surprised it's taken until 2020 for you know, an, this initiative to get off the ground? To a certain extent, I am. Um, you know, I think that uh, MHA, along with other uh, large organizations, have been, you know, focused on pushing uh, the General Assembly to act on this issue for a number of years. And I don't know that the I don't know that the will of the people was there until really the last couple of years. I think once once we saw Kansas pass it at the ballot, and I think the polling has shown consistently here in Missouri that it's polling well above well above fifty percent. Uh, I think that uh, finally people felt confident that if they circulated the ballot initiative and got it the question asked on the ballot that people would support it. Have either one of you heard from your Republican colleagues of maybe passing Medicaid expansion this session as a way for the legislature to have its own influence on how it happens in ahead of the ballot initiative? Once the ballot initiative is passed, I suspect in 2021 legislative session that the, the majority party uh, Republicans will come back in and 
attempt to put in work requirements as well as other uh, restrictions on the program. So I don't necessarily think there's the impetus uh, this year to uh, to pass a uh, more narrowly tailored Medicaid expansion. I think that they will probably seek to do that uh, once it's passed, on, if it's passed at the ballot. I'll pose this question to both of you, because the common refrain that's been put forward from opponents of Medicaid expansion is it's going to be too expensive and it's going to take money from other areas of the budget. Now, Medicaid expansion proponents have pushed back against that, saying because of the way Medicaid expansion will work, it may not actually cost the state money. It may actually save the state money in the long run. Representative Stevens, I want you to address that point first. No, absolutely. Um, No, we hear that a lot. Um, I would make the point that, you know, um, it would be a 90-10 match. So the federal government would come in and cover 90% of the, ma- uh, the the funding, and the state would pick up the other 10%. We have seen other states that expanded in the first year. So we have, you know, in 2013. Um, so we have a lot more information than we did in, when we were advocating for this in 2013, 14, 15, about the impacts on budgets um, for other states. And it, it, nothing has been like this big cat- catastrophe where um, these different states is budgets are, are um, you know, impacted in, in some terrible way. Um, and so I, I don't really buy into that argument. Um, I know it's a talking point on the other side uh, for opposition, um, but I, I think the evidence for the other states that have expanded for a number of years um, is there. I, so we have people currently on our Medicaid rolls um, who could be switched over to the expanded population role soon after we implement Medicaid expansion. So there are families, there are children, there are pregnant women who we're currently drawing down, you know, roughly a 60-40 match at the state level who could then switch over to an expanded population where we draw down a much better 90-10 match for those individuals. Um, you. People say this is going to be a huge tax increase. We're already Missourians are already paying taxes on Medicaid expansion. That money is just not coming back to to Missouri. We're paying that at the federal level on capital gains tax. It's just not being redistributed back to Missouri. So Missourians are actually paying for other states to expand Medicaid. Once we have Medicaid expansion in that first year, it's very possible that there'll be some upfront cost. I, I you know, I don't want to say that there are not going to be some upfront cost. I expect it, you know, to be, you know, in the range of anywhere maybe between fifty and seventy-five million dollars of general revenue to help get it going. But once that happens, you're going to see those costs draw down, and that ninety-ten match, as well as just the economic. Uh, multiplying effect of bringing all those dollars back to Missouri, going through the hospitals, going through those rural hospitals, rural clinics, and healthcare providers, getting uh, you know more people in their door who have access to healthcare and who have a payer. And I'll continue. Oh, I was just going to kind of to echo what Representative Kedrick said, but also I think it's just good public health policy. Like when we invest in people that they can get preventative care, that they can, you know, continue to work and contribute to the economy uh, and be healthy parents and all those different things. I mean, it's an investment. Um, so if there are a few, upfront, you know, upfront costs, I think in the long run, that's how we have to view it as well. And I know that uh, this may be an uncomfortable point to opponents of Medicaid expansion, but they often say, like, you know, they have to draw money from K through 12 or higher ed as if that's the only option. Well, I would just counter that by saying, well, there are a number of potential revenue streams, which is, I guess, a euphemism for tax increases, that could pretty easily be done. Taxing vaping products, taxing managed care organizations. Obviously, cigarette tax increases are difficult, especially if you have to put them on the ballot. But I think I'm just pointing that out that, 
let's say it's a doomsday scenario where it's $200 million of upfront costs, you could probably pay for those costs without affecting a huge amount of people by doing those types of things. Managed care organizations have have been at the table, have said they will pay a voluntary tax for the federal reimbursement allowance where they pay a provider tax and then it helps us draw down more federal dollars. They've said for multiple years they will pay that tax voluntarily without a problem and we have denied their ability to do that. That's at least uh, anywhere between 30 and $50 million a year that we could have been drawing down for managed care organizations. Now let's talk about an issue that is ripe in the legislature right now, and that is the effort to largely undo Amendment 1, which was passed by the voters in 2018, and it's largely known as Clean Missouri. So the last time we had both of you on, uh, Representative Stevens touched on this issue, and then I was like, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because I'm obsessed with redistricting, and we would talk about this for all the show. Well, we're going to go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Yeah, well, um, the majority party, and in this case the Republicans, uh, want to have a significant amount of influence on redrawing maps. It happens in every state uh, where the majority party is in existence. Um, you know, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger came out in support of Clean Missouri in the redistricting proposal. Arnold Schwarzenegger was fighting Democrats who were gerrymandering in California for a number of years. And it's no surprise that he would come out in support of it here in Missouri. So, yes, it's going to have to go back to the vote of the people. Um, but I think that the voters are going to see through the attempts to, to gerrymander and, and a gerrymander in a significant way. Um, you know, I think that you Republicans are um, – I think that some of them are a, a bit concerned about asking this question and look like it's undermining the will of the people. But I think that they believe the stakes of losing – control of drawing maps is so significant to their ability to control and maintain power, at least for the next decade, uh, that they're willing to risk that. Representative Stevens, one of the biggest reasons why I think Republicans are trying to undo Amendment 1 on the redistricting front is they believe Amendment 1 was not about fairness, but was about making the process better for Democrats. They point to a number of different reasons for that. How would you respond to that argumentation? Well, you know, one of the things that came out of Amendment 1, and I'm, of course, I'm a supporter, um, is, you know, making sure that uh, the work product is there, that we have this nonpartisan demographer, um, that uh, we can see what data was used, how the districts were drawn. Um, you know, I think it's, I find some of, I listened to some, uh, not all of it, but some of the Senate floor debate about this issue in the last few weeks. Um, and and I've heard you know some of the talking points and I mean quite frankly I think it's very insulting to the voters I think voters are well informed I think they did their research um, and, and wanted this you know they wanted these reforms to prevent gerrymandering and it was we had a lot of bipartisan uh, endorsements on this as well and I think to echo uh, Kip a little bit I mean this is I mean this is going to be a priority for them I hope that folks are paying attention and are reaching out to their legislators and um, I'm confident that even if it makes it on the ballot that um, people people will know that um, they're not going to be um, quite frankly fooled by this I'll throw this open to both of you and I, I feel free to push back against this observation I feel that pushing up compactness as a bigger priority over partisan fairness and competitiveness inherently, hurts Democrats because Democrats are primarily clustered in St. Louis and Kansas City and to some extent Columbia. 
I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to draw districts from like Tarkio to Hannibal, but I could definitely see districts in especially the suburbs that connect very Democratic areas with more Republican suburbs as a way to create more competitive districts. I think that's the biggest impact of this initiative that is being put through the legislative session or put through the legislature now. As long as compactness is emphasized over partisan fairness and competitiveness, your party is going to be at a big disadvantage. Uh, am I am I totally off base on this? Wait, I, and feel free to say no, yes. No, I'm okay. no, no. I mean, no. You're you're not completely off base. I mean, to a certain extent, we have self segregated ourselves in many ways, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, it's just it's the unfortunate reality of, of where we are um, in, in today's society. It's not just Missouri; it's other states and you know a rural urban divide. Uh, you know that being said. Uh, having political fairness entered into the equation um, and having clean Missouri go into effect, it's not going to lead to Democrats sweeping. And in many cases, um, you know, I don't know, you know, in 2022, if clean Missouri goes into into effect, I'm still not convinced that Democrats exit a super minority. Uh, I think it'll be close. I think that we move from potentially being a super minority to a minority. Uh, but there will be a more transparent process, less gerrymandering taking place. Eventually, the tide's going to turn. And, you know, if Democrats take control, I still, as a Democrat, I don't want Democrats to be able to gerrymander. It's just bad public policy. It leads to diluted votes. Uh, and it also leads to, you know, a, a more divided, more divided state. Well, I mean, I think that the big and we'll, we'll kind of transition naturally into politics now. I think that the impact of let's just say clean Missouri is retained. I, I don't know if it's going to have as much of an impact as proponents feel it will have unless there's a Democratic governor. Because if you get below the supermajority and there's a Democratic governor, then you all become a lot more important because it's a lot harder to overcome a veto. If Governor Parson gets elected to a full four-year term, and let's say even after 2022 you get 10 more seats, there's the Republicans are still going to be able to pass a lot of things. So I want I want you to address that and also just to touch on maybe the importance of this upcoming election cycle for redistricting, which comes after 2021. I'll push back a little bit on what you said when you said proponents are saying. I think it's actually the opponents that are saying that this is a this is a chance for Democrats to gerrymander. It is not. Proponents are saying that these are going to be fairer maps, and with fairer maps, I think it's possible that you see more Democrats get elected. But it is, I mean, we're going to still remain a minority. That's that's the state we live in right now. And, and it could very well change in the next decade. But with, with gerrymandered maps, if we go with an SGR 38 to redraw, Democrats will remain in a super minority for at least the next decade plus. And if they remain, remain a super minority for the next decade, then it's not... It's not out of the range possibility that in 2030 and 2031, when new maps are drawn again in a gerrymandered way, that we don't remain a super minority. It it gives fair maps give us uh, Democrats the the opportunity to win districts where we are competitive. But there are going to be some Democratic strongholds right now, um, gerrymandered Democratic districts that will eventually go Republican as they become more competitive. There's no doubt about that. I think a, an ongoing uh, conversation you and I have had, Representative Kendricks, just rural Missouri and the Democratic winnowing there. What's, what, do, what do you see on that front? 
know that was a very important uh, question. No, I'm I know. Sorry, no, you're fine. <laughs> um, I, I grew up in rural Missouri. Uh, I grew up in you know Monroe and Marion and Rawls County, Shelby County area, and uh, you know I watched uh, Democrats lose offices and, and you know Republicans take a stronghold to where it's you know it's not uncommon for Democrats barely to scrape thirty percent of the popular vote in those areas now. Um, yeah, I it I don't know what the answer is. I mean, it's going to take time. It's going to take the important factor is that we we recruit people to run and to run in a way that that fits their district and gives Democrats a voice in the area to maintain the dialogue, maintain the conversation in the area to make sure that we don't lose, we don't continue to ratchet down, you know, into the 20s or the teens even on support for Democrats. It's, it's going to take people there running and having conversation, but also listening and trying to trying to make sure that the candidates are then telling us what we need to be talking about in rural Missouri as they listen to their voters. Well, Representative Kendrick, Representative Stevens, thank you so much for joining me again. I guess I'll have you both back in two years when I come here. I don't know. I think it's an every two-year cycle, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it sooner. Uh, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Thank you so much to KBIA for hosting us. They are a tremendous organization here in Columbia. How can people follow you, Representative Kendrick, on the World Wide Web? Yeah, kipkendrick.com on Twitter at kip underscore Kendrick. Um, and you can find me on Facebook as well. Uh, Representative Stevens, how could people find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, so website, friendsofmarthastevens.org, and then on Twitter, martha 4 Thank you very much, and until next time, so long. So long.